Hello, welcome to the Dear Writer podcast. I'm Sarah. And I'm Ashley. We're two aspiring collaborative authors sharing our writing journey with you. The ups, the downs, and everything in between. Whether you're just starting out or a more experienced writer, we hope that you'll find this podcast inspiring and thought-provoking. And here's the show. Hey, welcome back everyone to Dear Writer. We are on to episode 14 today and we have the second of our author spotlight series with James Holmes. So welcome, James. Hi, James. Hi, Ashley. Hi, Sarah. Thanks for having me. Oh, no problem. We're very excited to have you on today. James is actually quite a good friend of mine. He is my friend Wendy's partner. Hi, Wendy. She wanted us to say hi to her at some point on the podcast. Oh, hi, Wendy. <laughs> this will make her day. Hi, Wendy. She um, asked me to awkwardly shoehorn that in later, so oh. that's already <laughs> achieved at the beginning. Easy. <laughs> I love that I'm waving and she can't see us, but I'm waving. Hi, Wendy. <laughs> She's waving back. Um, anyway, so yeah, we've um, we've bonded James and I have bonded quite a lot over the past few years, especially because both of us, since he is on this podcast, obviously, are very interested in, you know, our creative, the creative side of life. So, and James also lives a life I know many aspiring writers dream of. He gets to spend almost all of his time working on all of his creative projects. So he is writing a novel, but he's also working on his own video game, which is pretty cool. Ooh, sounds very interesting. I will also just clarify that, doubly clarify that James is not my husband, James. And the Dan from last episode is not Sarah's husband, Dan. They are separate people. That's just a really strange coincidence that occurred. <laughs> but yes. So maybe we'll start with a hopefully easy question, James. Were you always a creative person? Like as a child, were you always writing stories and pursuing your creative passions? Um, that is a good question. Great starter, actually. Thank you. Yeah, I guess my passion for writing goes back to earliest I can remember as being about five. Yeah, and sort of writing fiction. At the time, it was sort of media I was influenced by, be it like movies, video games, etc. And sort of just continuations, things years later, I would learn a very cringeworthy term as fan fiction. But at the time, as a kid, you know, you just like... This is cool, but what if there was more? You know? Here's this Pokemon story I've written. Oh. <laughs> no, I understand the looking back and seeing stuff that is really, really cringy. <laughs> I used to do like these little uh, weird sausage people drawings is what I called them. And then I had little pieces of paper just folded together in a book in quotation marks. <laughs> <laughs> what sort of quote unquote fan fiction were you creating when you were five years old? As I said, it was primarily sort of just extensions to say video games or movies. It was um you know continuation work where it would be okay, where does that character go now? What are they? You know. But then as an adult also, I look at one of my favorite films as the 80s classic Robocop, and you look at the later sequels, they were not that well written. And so comparatively, you know, you look at fan fiction and you're like, well, you look at sequels of things that get greenlit and you know, by no means saying it's better, but I'm saying at least Robocop perhaps chasing, you know. Professionals sometimes do a terrible job as well. Yeah, going off and fighting in the Vietnam War or something's probably more interesting than what we got in the third film, so, you know. <laughs> I've never seen Robocop. 
You should. It's one of those great series where they made one and they just stopped and they never kept going. <laughs> Is it good as in... Uh, so, for context, James and I have been watching the Rambo movies because I find them both ridiculous and amazing at the same time. Right. Um, is Robocop in a similar vein to that? So, oh, boy, this has gone from writing into discussing Sorry. 80s films, which is my uh, whole thing. I, you know, I apologize. But, um, oh, no, not at all. This is great. So, um, R- Rambo in itself is you know, a fascinating case because um, for the listeners at home, Ashley when watching them when they skipped first blood, the first film in the series. So we just started with Rambo 2. And see, when they made the Rambo films, the first Rambo was based off a novel, First Blood. And it's largely about a soldier's PTSD and coming home and trying to find a place in society and being unable to fit in. All these Vietnam veterans came back and society rejected them because they started to go very anti-war and etc. And so it's quite a heartbreaking story of someone that fought for his country that no longer has a place in it. And then after that, they dropped all of that because there was not, as far as I know, there were no sequels of the novels. And so they just turned into ridiculously stupid fun action movies. And so two, three, and the continuation are so far removed from what the first one was, in a great way. They're fantastic, but they're not really sequels in the traditional sense. And that's why when around Christmas, actually, I was talking about Christmas movies, and I said, well, technically, First Blood does take place at Christmas, but to watch that now, and first blood, he does is like contrary to popular belief, Rambo doesn't kill a single person. He sets up some traps, he injures people, but he doesn't kill anyone in that movie. In the later movies, his body counts in the thousands or the <laughs> So I mean to go from that back to the first one, <laughs> it doesn't flow great. And um Robocop's similar. The first piece was written as a very heavy political satire at the time. Um it was a heavy look at how comfortable America was getting with violence. It was the political culture and sphere at the time, it was nuclear armament. And it was supposed to be a cold satire at all of that. The whole concept of Robocop is that they've taken police work and stopping crime and turned into this sheened, robotic, cold, you know, merciless force. And then in the later ones, they realized things like, hey, kids think this is cool. We can market it to kids if we, like with Robocop 3, let's take this ultra-violent R18 gore fest, make it PG-13 so we can sell a bunch of action figures. Right. <laughs> what it would become later on is quite removed from Soviet's inception. And with the sequels, they seem to only realize that what made, is again with writing, I guess this loops back a little bit into writing, is that they thought the only bit that really made Robocop Robocop was Robocop. They're like, well, he's the main character. It's his name on the box. So if he's in it, it's Robocop. Right. As I said, not realizing the whole thing was satire and it's a skewed lens on society at the time. But they dropped all that and just took the titular character. I'm like, it's fine. It's still the same thing. <laughs> like, like Rambo. <laughs> Rambo. Maybe I don't need to watch the first Rambo. Do we think it might ruin my? I've got like a very rosy perception of Rambo right now. He just goes in, kills some people, rolls in mud, <laughs> explodes things, and then occasionally says one line of dialogue. That's my <laughs> description of Rambo. I mean, that's it too. In the first in the first film, Rambo has these dialogues about the war and his trauma during it. In the second one, he has like three lines. I think it's 15 yeah. minutes till he says his first word because it started becoming ridiculous. And then he just says, okay, and then like stares at the camera. And I was like, oh, okay. Apparently he can speak. 
That's it. Yeah, that's. I mean, the characters are so far removed from each other. It's a weird arc. Again, again looping it back to the writing thing because I guess it's the <laughs> point of the podcast. Not Rambo. And I could just, I, I could just ramble on about Rambo or eighties movies all day. But um, yeah, again, looping it back to writing for a moment. The character of Rambo from First Blood, you can tell, is heavily again drawn from the novel and what the author had penned. Whereas in the sequels, it's not. They had nothing they were going on. They just took the name and just sort of did what they wanted with the character. So it's first first blood's fine, but it's a very very different person and a very different. So they don't, they don't really mesh with and the the concept of sort of the character's hero journey or his story arc is strange too, because the whole point of the first one is that he goes through a great deal of events through the first movie, and then sort of towards the end he gives some spoilers mild spoilers for like a film from the eighties, but he sort of gives himself into the police and sort of this idea that he's. His old colonel brings him in and he's willing to sort of forego what's happened and accept what happens to him. And it's it's the storyline that sort of finishes itself neatly. Whereas in the second way, he just becomes a sort of emotionless killer. And it just, like, it, <laughs> any, any sort of redeeming arc he had in the first film is sort of thrown out for, it's it's cool when he shoots people. <laughs> <laughs> it's very, so just give us the action. Pretty much. Pretty much. Let's get rid of the rest. But it worked. That, yeah, <laughs> it's it's great. You should watch it. I'd recommend. I laughed the whole should way we through. Watch them? We should watch them. We just watched the the whole Die Hard series over Christmas. Oh, that was our Christmas movies. <laughs> was Die Hard. They count. <laughs> I think they count. They count. <laughs> yeah. So I guess that leads on to the next question. Is so you were writing fan fiction. What sort of things are you writing these days? So these days, I just actually say I've sort of got. A- few things I'm working on. One's this novel concept that I've been working on for a while. It's That, I guess, goes a bit into the discussion of the creative process and how the writing's done. And the way that I'm, I guess nowadays I approach a lot of things is, it's a bit of a breakdown with the, with the novel concept I'm working on now. It's sort of, it takes place over a series of time jumps. Right, sure. Over sort of a series of years following various characters over those periods. But they all link into an intrinsic main story, sort of an overarching plot that's, and this again, perhaps, that's cool. Yeah, perhaps loops into, um, as I said, my main sort of focus, the thing I've been studying for years, video game development, and the way that that's approached, I guess, perhaps skews a little bit the way that I view writing now as well, in the sense that, you know, within video games, there's just the, the way it's structured from sort of main plots to, well, that's, that's sort of, I guess it's a bit of a tangent, but that's sort of what got me, you know, into video games in the first place is the way that in stories or plots being told in video games don't need to be told in the traditional linear way that they're told within most novels. Mm-hmm. Within a novel, because I also, as we've just discussed, I have a deep love for film too. But it, film, again, is the same thing. It follows sort of a sequential, say, two-hour story, start, middle, end. Yeah. Within a video game, if the plot needs 300 hours, it has it. Um, if the plot needs to be told from different character points and sort of just jump around you know, start here to stop, jump way over here. It's it's allowed for it. If it needs to sort of have heavy flashbacks that are not even told sort of at exact points, but are told as sort of the story develops and at certain points later on as, say, the player uncovers them, it can. And so because of that sort of non-traditional story structure that video games allow for, I guess that shapes the way that I also view novel writing and other things a bit now too. Right, so how, like, so what sort of, techniques do you take from that from your writing like so we're talking about like different narrative structures you know and and do you use like different points of view or do you use like a combination of like you you were talking about flashbacks or 
I guess like different characters to portray different storylines and how how does that sort of come together and what techniques do you use for that? That's a great question and also goes back to um as a just the general writing concept of how someone approaches point of view perspective within a novel. I tend to it's generally first person so first person from the lens of where it's being told at the time again that might be quite um you know within kind of runs into the video game exactly feel doesn't it yeah yeah Yeah. I've also um spent a period of time studying film and so I've written a fair few screenplays over the years and the right the writing process for that is again entirely different because within you know within novels you're writing everything there's sort of that extreme level of depth there's as you both know, I haven't done it. Yeah, you can use thoughts and yeah. compared to screenwriting, it's everything that's that has to be visual, right? Exactly. And it's um it's that level of again, I haven't written a full novel to the length of you guys. I've written some shorter things, but I haven't done a full length novel yet. But um which is sort of what I'm working on now. But um yeah, within within film, within the novel you might write, you know, say a character walks into the room, you've got to describe the room in detail. All you have is what you've written down. And that's everything the reader has to go on to visualize this place. Within a film, you know, within a screenplay, you're writing, you know, man pushes open door and you'll be writing sort of the type of shot that it's interior, exterior, the lighting, the, but you don't need to describe the set because that'll largely be done either through storyboards that will be contained with the script or when it's on set itself, the description's already there. So you don't need to include that level of detail because it will be visual. And it's this whole um, line of sort of visual storytelling versus directly telling the the audience. And again, with video games and film, you're sort of very visual. So you don't need to you don't need to write in such a structured way that you need to detail it, which is good, but also I guess provides its own challenges sometimes. Yeah, definitely. Um, but just with the film, you know, a lot of that <clears throat> within film writing, within screenplays, a lot of that just becomes also dialogues and you know script. And so that having done all of them, it's sort of a bit of the way my personal process is a bit of an amalgamation. What, what I'll do with the novel is I'll roughly sort of plot it out and then I'll sort of come and refine it later. So sometimes dialogue becomes a bit screenplay-like. Sometimes it'll become a bit of, you know, just a breakdown of sort of words between, and then I have to go back in and sort of add in tone and add in, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, it's sort of. I haven't sort of diverted the question too much, but it also flows back into what I'd drawn to sort of do it, which is a bit of a jumble. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. No, I was, I was going to say, by the sounds of it, you would need to have at least an outline of your novel to be able to write that, especially it sounds quite complicated. And I assume if you were just writing it on the fly, you'd end up with a lot of contradictions and kind of difficult points you'd need to iron out at a later date. <laughs> yeah, well, that's um, that whole question about whether someone's like a um, pants or a plotter or whatever, right? The type of how you approach the planning of a novel. And yeah, for myself, it's always, I've always, I don't know, I've, um, unless, you know, you can watch some videos online, you read the odd thing about people, but it's hard to sort of know someone else's full process. Mm-hmm. And so I just, I just don't mind. I, I would not at all say the way that I go about things is correct, but it works for me. But see, yeah, so I've always sort of, with it, with any of it, be, be it sort of a screenplay stuff I've done, be it dining on video game development or the novel, there needs to be a fair amount of at least an outline. Yeah. I need to sort of go in, I need to know the core plot points. I need to at least roughly know where things are headed. They might head there in a different, it's um, like, say, a GPS in a car. I know the destination might turn on the way there that there might be a horrible crash and we have to en route and we have to, you know. Yeah. But I sort of have to know yeah, the yeah. rough, yeah, the rough sort of end destination. Yeah. 
And it's the same with the characters in that too. I have to have at least a rough idea of at least who the main people are. Mm-hmm. So going in, I have to know, you know, this is our main protagonist. He's the direct people he needs to influence these people for the story to work. Everyone else is a bit sort of meldable. That can come later. But yeah, they're definitely, so that whole plotter pants thing, I'm like, I guess I'm definitely a plotter, but not to the extent that quite a lot of people are. I don't go in, I don't need to know the full world lore. I don't need to know. I just need to know sort of a fair amount of structure so that I can then sort of work within that structure, if that yeah. makes sense. So like those key points that you need to hit somewhere along the way to make the story work. But how you get to those key points is, I guess, just see what happens. Exactly. And I'm also um, not particularly beholden to things I write down too. Like it's always just sort of a roadmap. And so it's like characters, things like even say gender might change later on if if I feel it needs to. Or... So th- there's always sort of the loose pinning, but then, yeah, later on things are subject to change. But I just need that, yeah, rough sort of sketch, that that base idea to work from, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, I totally understand that. It's very similar, actually, to the way that I write when and I'm going and adding all these flashbacks to the book that I've written in. And I did, in fact, change a couple of genders and things. So it's mm. like, but me and Ashley, we're a lot more structured because we have to be with the two of us. But yep. I think it's a good way to be sort of doing a bit of a mix of the two and um, allowing sort of creativity and inspiration to strike you as you go, but then sort of having an idea point to get to. Definitely. And I also find I'm I'm quite a fan of, as, as I've said, sort of non-linear storytelling or trying to get a bit weird with it if I can. But yeah. that only really works if you've also got some, what I refer to as anchor points. You see that a billion times, writers have sort of, they've decided they're going to write, say, a prequel novel or there's going to be, you know, flashbacks or there's going to be. And they haven't really ever defined loose points they have, but they're not that beholden to them. And then when they start to write prequel things, they will contradict things that have happened or they'll, because they just sort of like, you know, oh, I'm going to write a prequel about this character. This is just what's happened. Then someone that's quite in depth into their law might go, well, actually, you've already said at that point that he was over here so that, yeah. <laughs> whereas at least with those anchor points, when you come back to your own work, you can go, okay, he has to be at this location then. He will need to have actually been, you know, so you've got those points that sort of the story can fit within. Yet again, you know, you've already given yourself a bit of an outline. Yeah. Uh, it's sometimes strange what those anchor points end up being too, we find. Sometimes you don't even know and then yeah. you write something you're like, whoa, this is like a keystone moment kind of thing. <laughs> Do you ever find that with your with your writing that you write something and then it's like, wow, this is actually hinging on like a big moment? And Yeah, no, definitely. Or there's even things where, um, they, again, they've been sort of a bit of a throwaway thing or something that was supposed to be unimportant. And then it'll come into later. And it seems, even though it seems good enough now, but yeah, it just seems important enough that now I might even be changing what I would have thought would have been a more key event or more to fit this other, what I thought was a more minor thing, And you know, to begin with. Let's say it's something, I don't know, it's off the cuff, like character gives side character a love interest to something like a pendant right before, I don't know, going off to the war or something. But then you decide later on that a lot of the story is going to follow love interest as she's older and she's reflecting on this pendant and she's showing it to children. And then it, and then later on, you were going to throw that pendant thing out. That was just a little sort of sidestep before hitting off. And now you're like, actually, no, that's become quite a pivotal. Yeah, like, yeah. This, this actually sort of matters more than any of the war storyline because he isn't really the focus anymore. And now suddenly this, this little thing has become quite a, yeah, quite an unintentional bigger plot point totally get that we've had that happen quite a few times also unintentionally writing like 
key character scenes where you've like randomly in a chapter you've written in the scene and then suddenly that scene is one of the most important scenes from your entire novel and you're like how did that happen that was on accident it wasn't (laughs) planned yeah no definitely I think they kind of did that in the the film of the Martian I don't know I haven't actually read the book but I've kind of heard from one of the other podcasts I was listening to that they did that with like a love interest and then then they wrapped it up with like one scene at the end of the movie and it was kind of like it wasn't in the book it was literally two minutes of the film but then it just became this big thing and everyone's like oh that was a really sweet scene and like really nice for them to put in there (laughs) sometimes little things can really make it yeah that's one thing that personally bugs me especially with film the amount of times that in especially I could again ramble about film for ages and especially a general dislike of a lot of film trends now but um I find so many characters like character writing in films especially now feels very poor especially for side characters and you know for for love interests and the like it'd be sort of like one scene sort of towards say the beginning of the film and then they're brought back in later or they'll be killed off or they'll yeah. And there's no real need to have ever felt anything towards them. You don't you don't care remotely, <laughs> but yet you're sort of supposed to have. But they haven't given you anything to really make this person anything beyond just a blip in the story. And yeah, that's so often. I'm like, no, I I don't care if they're sort of it's it's sort of you probably get this with the writing too, but sometimes you need I'm trying to find a better scene word than just like nonsense scenes. But sometimes you need these little, sort of little moments of humanity, yes, these little yeah. things that don't again don't seem that important, but to the development of the relationship between characters, they really are. And if you don't have them, it does show. So it goes, oh, well, why should we care that that person's died or that, you know? Exactly. You need to kind of set it up beforehand so that people care about what happens. And otherwise, you don't have any tension or any, I guess, any obstacles to even make the plot line work. Because if your readers don't care, they're just going to switch off and probably not finish the book or maybe even stop it if it's a film. I've done that before. Exactly. <laughs> I think film is one of the worst for it because it's just given that, you know, two hour, general two hour time frame, which means that a lot of stuff has to be shortened. One of the worst cases I can think of with film off mind to just entirely disregard very famous public work on air, you know, shoot down the whole career before it starts. That was within the, the film adaptation of Ready Player One. Oh, Ready Player One was terrible. And the romance between him and the, the female love interest. I think he like meets her once. And then there's a scene sort of towards the club where it's almost like he loves her. He's extremely infatuated with oh, her. Oh, no. Yeah. But they'd met like once. <laughs> I agree. No, I 100% agree. But within the film, there was no build up. There was no. Yeah, it just got weird that he was so aggressively attached to her, given that within the film, we had nothing to go on that they had any sort of connection or. Didn't even like talk romantically or, you know, like. Have, have you read the book, James? You should. I have not read the book yet, but I've heard that it's a lot better, right? It is very good. I read the book and had mm. not watched the film. And then I didn't want to watch the film because James had explained to me how <laughs> terrible it is. And I wanted to, you know, savor the book, which I thoroughly <laughs> enjoyed. But in the end, we watched it during the first lockdown and I was so disappointed. They just, d- <laughs> they, 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 they basically, they massacre that book and turn it into this like weird, you can tell they've just made it for Hollywood. They change all of the, there's like all yeah. these challenges he has to do and they make them way too grand for what they actually were. And they change all of the characters around. It's weird. I wasn't a fan. But mm. similar though, we, I was going to say, so we've talked about this briefly before about when you watched um, 
Tomorrow When the War Began, the movie, you found it very similar, how they've just taken all of these random character archetypes, just like chucked them in and made you not really care about anyone. There's a shortcut to trying to build characters. Just let's grab a stereotype here, there, and chuck these characters into the stereotype. And then everyone knows exactly how they're going to act, except it didn't really work because then you're like, well, that's just a bit. No one is actually like that. Yeah, definitely. And that especially goes back to the whole film thing where, again, using sort of that visual language versus the written. And it'll be the sort of thing where, again, that's part of the thing coming from, because video games suffer from this terribly. There are almost no good video game film adaptations because, again, even worse than novels, video games can take up hundreds of hours and to condense that into a tiny story for two hours. And I think that's part of the problem with novelizations being turned into film is that Again, it's these stories need more. They just need more than a two-hour bracket. So you've got to cut so much down. And so then when it comes to something like that, it becomes this idea of, okay, no time for character development, no time to flesh these people out. How do we do it? Um, visuals. How about if he wears this outfit, then everyone will know he's the jock. And so then we don't need to describe he's the jock. You can just see it. It's like, and she will. And so then that's sort of this very, yeah, this very aggressive sort of reliance on sort of that stereotype to explain character traits or personality because there's just no time to really have scenes to flesh out what they're actually like and it's a very lazy way of doing it that sometimes it works sometimes it falls completely on its face yeah yeah I think it can be done it's about using very condensed and character specific dialogue I think would be probably the way to fix that but films just aren't made the way they used to be these days (laughs) I was going to say, then there's the one yeah, the yeah, one yeah. Um, example, which is the opposite, which is The Hobbit, right? Where they've taken a book that's fairly simple and like <laughs> an enjoyable adventure story that takes a couple hours to read and then turned it into this three book, no, this three movie. I don't even know what it is anymore. Not The Hobbit. The Lord of the Rings is my favorite. It's my absolute favorite, but The Hobbit is just way too much. Well, that again, going back to video games, there are some video games that have been based on novels, and there's quite a few video game adaptations of popular films. Like, so there'll be a new Iron Man film and they'll make a video game of it. But the video game has, and this happens so often, the video game's been in production at the same time as the film or beforehand, so that as soon as the film's come out, it can release alongside it, or so that as soon, just before the film comes out, it can come out to build up hype for the film. And the issue with this is they don't know the film plot because they don't know the film plot, they have to sort of do their own thing and they might have very rough footnotes. And so you've got this like two hour film of, I don't know, Iron Man or something goes and fights the bad guys over here and then comes back and has an argument with his girlfriend because he is a drunk or something. And then, yay, end of movie, everyone's sad. But in the video game, they're like, okay, but we need to make this last like five hours instead of two. And we can't just make someone sit there and listen to an argument with his girlfriend for half an hour. So it has to be more engaging. So how about now Iron Man has met some Turkish guys in a cafe and then he has to go help them collect spice from a caravan. (laughs) And and so then you get these weird nonsensical things that have sort of nothing to do with the main plot because the video game had to pad it out and they had to just sort of come up with things to... And it gets, yeah, really weird. Because as you're saying, there's just no, there's not nearly enough source material to rely on, but they have to, they, they just have to. And so they sort of go, well, okay. And yeah, the, the sort of things some video games have that are based on things, because they just had to flesh them out so much. It's, 
fascinating. Sometimes it's great. Sometimes it's awful. <laughs> I haven't played. I'm gonna go with I haven't played any video games, which is kind of a lie because I've played a couple, but like not ones that have story or anything. So I'm very um. Mm -hmm. I'm not particularly knowledgeable in that area, but this sounds, this has been quite interesting. It's a field that's changed so much because I've been, like I said, sort of playing games since I was a kid. And back, especially back then, there was not only a vast degree of creativity back then that was, like, like we're saying about the quality of movies and that, a big part of that comes down to the way things are made now. Things are so beholden to stockholders, they're so beholden to meeting quarterly targets, and, and so things basically have to be a surefire thing. I feel, especially in the 80s and 90s, there was a lot more freedom, and there's a lot more, well, if it, if it fails, it's entirely on you. But they were willing to let you have a go at mm -hmm. something and see if it fails. And video games are like that. And back then, there was a very small amount of games that were really that focused on story. Um, one of my favorite my favorite video game series, Metal Gear Solid, was one of the only ones that did that in quite a big way. But you look at everything else, you look at, like, I don't know, Crash Bandicoot. And then Crash Bandicoot would be like, uh-oh, the evil scientist has stolen all the fruit, or maybe your <laughs> girlfriend, and you've got to smash boxes and beat them up, probably. And that's mm -hmm. sort of about all it needed. And most games are like that. That was, you know... And then we look at sort of Jump Forward to now, and most games are... They're all trying to become cinematic, and they're all trying to sort of mimic movies, and high-quality storylines are almost expected from every piece now. Mm -hmm. So back then it was a lot more hidden miss. You had to sort of a lot of hidden gems, but simultaneously the sort of general consensus was that a lot of them were just stupid. They were just the plot was there just to allow people to play the game and have fun. Whereas now it's sort of become a massive shift in the last few years. Right. Yeah. I was gonna say I feel like some novels have shifted that way as well. Especially teen fiction. Like mm. I remember the teen fiction that I used to read. I know lots of Alex Ryder, stuff like that which is just like a fun spy story. And now a lot of it is so intense. Oh my goodness. <laughs> like obviously there's still some of those books, but there's a lot of, it's a very character focused now. It feels anyways, from what I've read, especially the ones that are popular. Mm. I think that's part of it too, that um, I blame a little bit the, the internet and things like us talking on podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> not, not to call dear writer out here while I'm on here, but um. Just, just in the sense that, you know, you get to like, again, pick a time period, my, my preferred is the 80s and 90s, but it doesn't matter, let's, you know, you can go back further if you want, we can go back a little bit sooner. But back then, you'd get a writer who would, you know, say, sit in his writing room and he'd just pin down this idea that he had in his head, and it might be amazing or gibberish, who cares, but he's sitting there, he's just sort of pinning it down, and he's writing this book, and then eventually sort of gets it out there. And maybe you had a few keen writers, especially people that probably had quite a career in it at the time and considered themselves quite high in the list, that might look around at what some of the other writers were doing and go, go to the old convention or try and, you know, be a bit current. Whereas now, because of the internet and because of this push towards aggressive marketing and trends, and most writers also have looked around and see what's popular. And they'll go, okay, this is selling really big, or this demographic is really large, and so they'll sort of cater solely to that. And so there's a lot less of isolationist, of people just going off and just doing the work. And there's a lot more now, I think, of everyone sort of almost copying each other. It's that old joke of, can I copy your homework? Sure, but change it just enough so it's different. Mm -hmm. And so everyone's sort of doing that, I think, where they're seeing, yeah, they're seeing, say, you know, team, like all, all team fiction will be going, one guy might have started to create heavy characterization and start to, you know, make the plots quite intense. And then someone else goes, oh, geez, that's selling really well. Maybe I should be doing that. 
And then, you know, goes home and starts to just include more of that in his work. And someone else sees that and goes, two people are doing that and it's selling really well. Maybe this is the way that the whole genre is going and I need to shift the way that I write. And so I think, like, the connectedness of things is changing. I think the connectedness, like, with the internet and, as you say, certainly probably enhances that. But I would say that uh, there has always been certain trends in the market as far as the types of works that sell like more traditionally published works in some ways I think with indie authors becoming more common and becoming a kind of a a way for people to to live even you know there's a lot of indie authors who earn a really good wage but it almost gives room for it to grow in those unexpected ways as well so I think there's a bit of both in the in terms that people look at what's traditionally published and what's selling well and it's kind of like magnetizes people into to writing certain styles and certain genres but then hopefully with the rise in indie we should see a bit more variety as well so I hope so because especially even when like when we've been applying to agents and things you see that they are after very specific things yes yeah there's some agents and I've seen what they want and they'll be like, we want a semi-real half fantasy dystopic novel that's set. And I'm like, you, you can't just like demand a ver- that specific novel. Like, I don't understand. It's a bit strange. But yeah, I think that kind of feeds into your whole connectiveness thing, James, that I guess it, yeah. agents and stuff are that's probably a- not helping it, right? A- asking for very specific or looking for very specific novels. Yeah, no, that that's exactly, I absolutely agree with what Sarah was saying. Because, um, yeah, those trends have always been there. As I said, that's not, you know, at all a new thing. And agents likely were still pushing trends, you know, way back, you know, take a point. And as I say, I think there were even higher, you know, authors. I bet people like Stephen King and that couldn't help but read some of their rivals' work at the time and try and see, you know, just out of, as I said, especially if you're a high author, just to sort of see what the market's like, what your, you know, what your competitors are doing. But I think now there's just, because of the way things are, um, I think there's just sort of more of a push of people, you know, like ourselves, like smaller creatives that are a bit worried trying to get a foothold into things that are overly concerned with seeing all these trends and trying, you know, just trying to make a name for yourself is sort of that hard because while there's so much opportunity, there's also equally quite a lot of people there. And so I think a lot of people are sort of trying to see, well, I need to try and get, you know, a bit of popularity. I need to try and get my name out there. What's big? And so it's sort of that that concern, and because of the internet, it allows you to see it all. Yeah. But I mean, it's the same thing. It's the exact same thing with video games. Exactly. I mean, I guess almost every creative medium, medium really, because of the accessibility of being able to do things now, there's a lot less gatekeeping, which means that, yeah, I think there's hands down a lot of people that are just riding a wave or riding the tide of what's popular. You know, they see an opportunity, they go, you know, I'll write whatever's popular. Like, oh, if I write a new, like, Fifty Shades, that might do well. It'll capture that whole market. I don't want to write one, but I'll write one because the girls seem to love them. And so you get a lot of people that are just jumping on some trend. But at the same time, because, you know, there's indie publishing, because there's a lot of indie authors out there, I think we are seeing, yeah, some, you know, a lot more creative work that wouldn't have been there. But it's a bigger numbers game, I guess is what I'm saying. The pool of people back then would have been a lot smaller, whereas the pool's a lot larger now. So while we are seeing really interesting, weird out there things, I think they're sort of, it's par for the course with just how many people are doing it now. But it is, you know, it is good. I think it's really cool. 
yeah, I just worry that, you know, Facebook, everything, you know, there's so much push on like marketing now and trying to, you know, I sort of worry. I've, I've seen it myself, just how much that can sort of stifle people a bit. And so it's just sort of something, yeah, concerns me. Fair a bit. enough. It's although self-publishing, I'm really excited about it, but also, you know, very daunted by it at the same time, kind of like, oh, you have to put yourself out there and it's all on you. Like you don't have anyone really helping you out with that. So I can see how it's a bit. I have heard that or one of the podcasters that I follow like makes a good point that no matter, even though it feels like the marketplace is really saturated and really full is that everyone, like every writer will typically read a lot more books in their lifetime than what they can ever write, even if they're extremely prolific writers. So when you look at it that way and you think of how many they like to call them whale readers of people who read just huge amounts when you look at how many people like that there is in the world there's actually a a huge demand for writing and so I think if you're delivering a quality product and yeah you do have to do your own marketing to an extent you do have to try and put yourself out there try and build yourself a platform which is isn't easy to begin with when you're small I mean where that's part of you know doing this podcast and doing the blog and doing the that you know like we we also recognize that aspiring authors need help and maybe we can help each other which is why we're sort of doing these interviews but yeah I I do believe that there is room in the marketplace for for more so hopefully (laughs) I think so well once someone's read something they need something new right you can't just stay on the exact same book if that makes any sense yeah, or even series yeah. like series ends mm-hmm. you need new series yeah no definitely I mean that's the old edge of build it and they will come I still like to believe that Me too. as long as what you've got is worthwhile people will recognize that or at least you know people that are sort of your audience will recognize that and they'll find it but um yeah and as you said like it all people always want more of stuff too case in point is how there are like what 20 seven Fast and the Furious movies <laughs> but, it, but it's that point that you know like people aren't just satisfied with one or reading the same book over and over the same movie or whatever and even if what you're making is of similar it might even be that you can just call it an inbuilt audience from the other work but people always want more they want different even if it's as long as it's not directly the same no there'll be there's definitely an audience for it I think yeah all right I'm going to pull this back to writing a bit more so Sarah and I, you may have listened to some of our podcasts, I'm not sure, but we have a mistakes of the month section. And I know I've told you some of the mistakes that we've come across, especially when we were on that writing retreat, James. I was wondering if you have found any hilarious mistakes while writing your book that you would be willing to share with us. Yeah, I mean, I don't have so much a particular mistake, so much as just a fun little fun in quotation marks there a fun little editing quirk that I myself have that is always interesting to come across um I think I've told you about it before actually but um I have a tendency to sort of roughly outline a plot and then sort of go into detail more as you know need arises as I start to go you know chapter by chapter and that means that I'm not always married directly to a story event or more in this case particularly to say a character and even more detail say a character name so I might take a character and let's call him like David but I might also decide that I like the name you know like Barry Hopkins I don't know and so 
it'll be this thing where as I write further, half the time I find I've gone interchangeable <laughs> with it. And so like, to like chapter one, he's called David. And then you jump to like chapter three because I've written it sporadically at different time periods. And I started just using like Theodore or something. <laughs> and so I'll go through editing. And I'll, for a moment I'll sort of pause and I'll be like, is this a different character? And I'm like, nope, it's the same guy. I just, and so it becomes, this editing becomes sort of this hunting down and then deciding ultimately <laughs> on a name you know, towards the end. But in those earlier stages, because I haven't quite decided, I've been just writing it in different. <laughs> and it, yeah, it's, it happens more than I'd like. And it's, you know, it's quite common. But... <laughs> you just tried like merging a name? <laughs> that would be funny. Well, that does happen with... Um... I'm just uh, sorry, I was trying to find a way of merging David and Theodore in my brain and it wasn't coming. <laughs> I don't have it with first names, but I definitely have it with last names. Let's say it's called like, I know, let's say like Barry Hopkins and like Theodore Walder or something. And then I'll have like Barry Walder. Oh, like and like one, so like I would have swapped like the, yeah, the, I would have mixed like the last and first name as well. Like that's definitely you call happened. your book The, the um, Many Alter Egos of Barry Hopkins. And people just have to go through and figure out is this Barry or is it not? Yeah, it's a plot point. It's part of the intrigue. <laughs> like a weird version of Where's Wally? <laughs> find yeah. Barry <laughs> or Theodore or whoever else <laughs> David I don't know that's what I'm saying it's at the point where was it to be were it to write just a, a more traditional story I think I just use like he or something at this point just use a very you know specific pronoun just to be okay it's that character but because I'm doing you know because a lot of the stuff I write is done from different perspectives or done from it means that it always so, you know at some point I've generally included the name to sort of remind myself who we're following and what we're on which means the name's sort of necessary, but yet, yeah, it just keeps happening. It's just that early design thing to, you know, towards the end. In the last uh, chapter that Ashley sent me, she hadn't decided on the names of these two characters, and so she'd kind of named them XXX and XXXXX, <laughs> except then the Xs would differ in the amount of Xs. <laughs> and so I got to this point and I was like, hang on a second, this person died is that the person that I was thinking of and then I was like oh oh no that was the other person well that's okay then <laughs> I was very confused for enough. a second I think you're going to have to name those people when we get to the editing point because I don't want to accidentally <laughs> name one the wrong one <laughs> that's fine I couldn't think of names for them and in the previous in my previous chapter I had to create like 20 characters and I had to be honest just had enough of creating characters I had a whole page and I had to anyway so I was, I'm not creating more characters I'm not naming them I just can't be bothered right now I'm just gonna leave them as is I always put underscores like multiple underscores just a like blank line and then carry on I was just gonna say one of my favorite things in a few works I like are in cases where the character is just entirely unnamed like, I don't know if either of you have seen the movie Drive for Ryan Gosling. No. 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 I'd suggest watching it, but a tiny bit violent, tiny bit, but mostly fine. Um, but throughout that, they, Ryan Gosling plays the main character, and the character's never given a name. And so anyone referring <laughs> to the character, is, like, within, sort of, outside of the, because it's based on a book, but um, anyone referring to the character talking about the movie, just call him the driver. And it's the same, there's a video game loosely inspired on that called Hotline Miami. And within that same thing, the main character is never named. And so, and none of the characters, none of the main characters in that game are named. And so people 
needing to refer to it, especially if talking about the game to other people or trying to say, oh, on this level with this character. So they started to just name them after attributes. Like the main character became Jacket <laughs> because he's wearing a jacket. <laughs> and another character became Biker because he rides a motorbike. Because without giving people need to refer to them somehow, but without being given a name at all by the by the author or creator, they're just like, uh, and some these like weird nicknames in the community sort of come, which end up sort of largely becoming the name for it because there's nothing else. Jacket. <laughs> you have to think that like maybe they were hoping that would eventually happen that just this amazing name develops out of thin air. Which again goes back to that stereotype thing, you know, you just create a character that's like the typical jock or the typical nerd or something and don't ever give him a name. And then if people are watching the movie or whatever, they'll probably be like, oh, the nerd. Or maybe they might give him a name like Neil the Nerd or something just as like a, but there you go. Didn't have to come up Neil with one. They the did nerd. it for me. Like, just gave them the stereotype <laughs> and the rest. So I think we should probably round this up. Is there anything else that you sort of wanted to cover that we haven't already or I did just think of something I would like to bring up out of curiosity sure just in terms of just something I find interesting as I said it's you don't know what other people's process is like without talking to them so um but just sort of the whole creative process in general like how do how do you girls find in terms of getting ideas or in terms of say you need to come up with a character or you're working on like the next part of a plot how, how do you girls deal with of that finding that inspiration or getting those those ideas when you're a bit stuck i think the last one that we did we started with our we almost used the plot line more for the last one although i know a lot of people do it the other way around where they'll use a character to create the plot line but Mm. we kind of had a look at the plot line and we, we were like well if he's going through this what do we want him to have learned by the end of the the plot line and we almost work backwards from that to work out how he'd be at the start, if that makes any sense. Mm. Yeah. So then we started thinking, well, what sort of traits to, to end up with like traits that's, I guess, well, not opposite, but like. Sort of more likable. That would develop into it. Yeah. Just have to develop the character to a point where he's more likable and making better decisions like what sort of character would we have at the start to to sort of start him along that journey of sort of self-discovery mm. and yeah we we came up with this character and then the supporting characters it becomes a question of I feel like in supporting characters you almost need like pieces of the main character reflected in them so that you can kind of bring it together and then see sort of contrasting journeys or um, like one of our characters is on a very similar journey to our protagonist but then like he's going to end up going making the wrong choices right when our character hopefully at the end going to begin making some right decisions <laughs> mm. so what would you say Ashley no I'd agree uh, we definitely had the plot line that we wanted first and our characters were quite flexible as to who they were and what they were like, except a, f- a few were based on historical figures. So we were limited slightly by obviously choices that they did make <laughs> in the past. So we then yeah. had to create characters around that, which I don't know, James, have we told you we're working on our new historical fiction book? I'm not sure if I've chatted to you since then. No, I've not heard this. I was suddenly like, you might be confused. We finished the teen fiction one. We're, we've just mm. having a little bit of a break from that at the moment 
and are working on an adult yeah. fiction, which is historical fiction. Hence why we already had the sort of plot line that we wanted and then had to right. fit characters into it that basically that helped push that yeah. plot line along. I think that's a difference with historical fiction as well, is that because you do have specific events that are happening within your book, then you kind of need to use those events in a way that if you're especially if you're adding a totally fictional character into those events you have to use events along the character's journey and think about how that's going to shape their personality yeah no definitely sort of works as as we're saying earlier with the anchor points and that sort of works as that to yeah help pull yeah the type of characters you're writing in that into it i think fiction one was kind Mm. of a mix i would say we had the characters yeah, I feel like it yeah. was more character-driven from the beginning. That so one. we made the characters before we mm. even had a plot, <laughs> I think. Right. Yeah. Sort of would come up with, well, we'd have original plot ideas and then we'd find the characters didn't approve of them and we couldn't force them to do certain things, <laughs> so we'd have to change it. <laughs> so that one was definitely more character-driven. Yeah. Hopefully this one will come across character-driven once we've written it. Yes, yeah. But we'll see. Hopefully things don't, mm. yeah, aren't just happening to our character. I'd like to make it come across that, you know, he's involved in it and making things happen, even though it was planned out the opposite way. Mm. Yes, yeah. I think the main thing is that you're aware of it, right? Yeah, yeah. Like you're you're thinking that, which means that there's less chance that it's going to happen. As opposed to having pretty much finished the book and then being like, oh, no, I've just realized that the character might not be involved. (laughs) No, yes, I'm aware that I don't think it will happen. But no, it's good. I'm... I've been enjoying writing this um a different like type of writing to what I'm used to and I've been enjoying it for the most part. <laughs> it's had its challenges yep. so far, but we're getting there. We're getting yeah. <laughs> we're building up our word count slowly but surely. Alrighty. Shall I wrap this up, Sarah? Yeah. Actually, before we wrap it up, James, is there any way people can get a hold of you if they want to chat about yes. video games, your interesting narrative structures or, you know, anything really? By default, not really. I'm these days an absolute recluse. I may as well live in a cave for all intents and purposes. So I'm going to use the cop-out answer and just say that if people want to get in touch with me, they can get in touch with Linderson Creations. <laughs> works, that can... works. <laughs> if anyone has any questions for James, you can either um, ask us on Instagram or on our website at lindersoncreations.com. Our Instagram handle is also Linderson Creations, so we shouldn't be too hard to find. Or Facebook. Or Facebook, well. yeah. And we can put you in touch with James or get him to answer your question for you. Thanks, James, for being on the podcast with us today. We've really enjoyed it. We've covered a lot of very interesting topics. I'm just <laughs> going to explain how people can be on the author spotlight. So we did explain this last time. There is a link on Windows and Creations under the podcast there should be a drop down menu and it should be up now so if you would like to be featured on dear writer then go have a look at that and what are we talking about next time ashley so next time it's the next episode of our talking shop mini series where we're going to be chatting about the books and podcasts that we're currently reading slash listening to and how that's helping us in our writing journey So I hope everyone has a really good rest of your week and happy writing, everyone.